You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family loved and served by God, compelled to love and serve each other and Austin with God. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. Well, good morning, Midtown. It's good to be with you this morning, even via Zoom. Uh, welcome back to those of you who maybe uh, missed the last two weeks because you're traveling for the holidays, and welcome to any of you visitors who are joining us today. And a special welcome to all of you who are listening on the podcast later because you're out playing in the snow right now. We know, we know you're out there. I hope you're having fun with your kids today for sure. Uh, this morning we're continuing our short three-week sermon series that we've entitled Hope for a New Year. And in the series we're addressing some of the broken places in our society and attempting to cast a vision for the hope that we have as Christians, and particularly the hope that we have um, in creating change in these very broken places um, I want to let you know something. We, we've had these uh, sermon topics planned out uh, for months, and after the events of this week, I think it's really easy for me to, uh, to see that God had a sovereign plan in the topic for today, because today's topic is uh, how to have civil discourse, the hope for civil discourse. And you may be thinking, well, what's that? <laughs> um, I, I, don't, I don't know what that is. We've, we've heard tales of this in the past. Uh, but we don't certainly see it from our political leaders or on social media, uh, let alone many of us have maybe never experienced it within our family or relationships with people who are different from us. Um, and I feel like right now our country definitely feels more divided and polarized than ever before. And I think that we've lost the art of having civil conversations with people that have different viewpoints, really the kind of conversations that can actually strengthen relationships rather than destroy them. Uh, I think there's two things that have happened in our society, certainly more, but I'll just mention these two. Uh, the first is I think there's increased uh, tribalism, uh, meaning that most people identify with a particular group, whether it's based on race or religion or region or politics or economics, and they retreat within that tribe and rarely venture out to make friendships with people from different tribes. Tribalism is happening in our world. And then the second problem actually compounds the tribalism, and that's that we've lost this art of having civil discourse, that we're no longer willing to have conversations with people that are different from us. We are no longer make the effort to try to understand viewpoints that are outside of our own. And besides the fact that maybe we're unwilling to do it, there's also, <laughs> I think, true that we're just not able, like we've lost our ability to do it. Think of the last conversation you had with a family friend or someone from a different tribe. Uh, we did just get back from the holidays after all, right? So <laughs> how did it go with your family, your friends? Uh, could it have gone differently? Do you, do you leave that conversation feeling understood or did you leave a conversation over the last few weeks feeling like uh, you tried to understand someone else? Did it increase the intimacy of your relationship with the people with whom you had disagreements? Um, odds are that, that it didn't or the odds are that you actually didn't want to talk about your differences, and so you just decided not to do that in order not to hurt your relationship. Well, we're all prone to do that, and I believe that uh, something pretty radical that I want to toss out to you today, something that you will not necessarily want to believe, but I really believe that it's true, and that's this, that having civil conversations can actually strengthen your relationship with people that you disagree with that having civil conversations over your disagreements can actually increase the intimacy that you have with, with people that you disagree with. Now, I do say, granted, having civil conversation requires both sides to be civil, 
So I know some things are out of our control, but I do believe that there's things that we can do, particularly we who claim, claim to follow Jesus. And these things can help us bring a new level of civil discourse to our relationships and to our world and be truly transformative individually in our families, as well as with our friendships and with those outside of the Christian faith. And so this morning, I want to look at two scriptures from the book of 1 Corinthians. Both scriptures uh, come from 1 Corinthians. And if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians, uh, Paul is actually addressing uh, a letter or writing back in response to a letter that someone named Chloe, one of the leaders in the house church, wrote him a letter. and He's addressing all of the topics that she wrote him about. And you'll see one of the overriding principles throughout the whole book of 1 Corinthians is the primary problem which he addresses first in the very first chapter. And it's this problem of tribalism. It's this problem of division, which is where we get our first of two points that I want to make today. You'll see in this 1 Corinthians 1, the first point is that agreement is more important than disagreements. Agreement is more important than disagreements. Let's see how Paul starts this letter. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another. And what you say, so that there may be no divisions among you, but you may be perfectly united in mind and thought. My brothers, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. Another, I follow Christ. So Paul is in the very first chapter. He's addressing a primary problem, what he had heard from Chloe. And that was that Christians were breaking off into tribes based on who they claimed to follow. Some were saying, I'm following Paul, some Apollo, some Cephas, which was another name for Peter. And then you have the really spiritual ones that say, well, I, well I'm just following Christ. <laughs> but you have to note in that scripture, note what he says the problem is. He says what was taking place, what is reported from Chloe that's taking place is there's quarreling. There's fighting, there's quarreling with your words. And what he says that they are basically saying that they're not having civil discourse. They're not having good arguments. Instead, in their tribalism, they're fighting with one another. And the whole thing at issue was what they were actually saying with their words, because it says that one says, I follow Paul. One says, I follow Apollos. One says, I follow Peter. So with their words that they're dividing, which is where you get this very, very strange command. I call it one of the most strange commands in scripture. It's the command that Paul gives here. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, that you agree with one another. Pretty strange command, right? Now, we know that he doesn't mean that we're not supposed to ever disagree because when we look at the next scripture I'm going to look at, he actually is going to tell them how they can disagree well. So it's not that they're not supposed to ever have any disagreements. But what he's saying is you're supposed to agree with one another in what you say. He's saying that agreement is more important than disagreements because of their faith in Christ, who is the thing that unites them. I like to call this the highest common denominator. You guys are... Math, you know, in math, there's the lowest common denominator. It's the, the, the lowest number that two numbers have in common or are divisible by. Well, Christ is our highest common denominator as believers. And we need to remember that he's our highest common denominator so that we can disagree yet find agreement. What Paul was saying, if you were to go on and read the rest of uh, 1 Corinthians 1, actually it's one argument from 1 Corinthians 1 through chapter 4, four chapters, he's addressing this issue. And the most common thing that he's saying is you have to find agreement because you have to remember that Christ is who you have in common. Disagreements lead to quarreling, but we have so much that we can agree on, particularly the thing that's most important, our highest common denominator. 
Now, this command is specifically for us as followers of Christ. Uh, this is what we should do when we have differences on theological issues, on social issues, on political issues, on COVID issues. We should be able to have civil conversations. And in our disagreements, remember that we have one with whom we do agree as our highest common denominator being Christ. Because we belong to Jesus, because we've been adopted into his family, because we believe that we're part of a heavenly kingdom and have a different king than the kings of this earth, we have this highest common denominator. And Paul's argument to these tribal Christians in Corinth is that they focus on where they agree, namely that Christ is their Lord. And I'd like to argue this morning that if you are unable to do that, it's a sure sign of misplaced priorities. Because if you're arguing with your brother and sister in Christ, over things that aren't of utmost importance, it's revealing where your priorities really lie. Now, this is a specific command uh, that we get, give related to Christians, but I do believe that this is a principle behind the command that is true and applicable in civil conversations that we can have with those in the world and those outside of our Christian faith. Paul's command of the Corinthians, I find a very simple skill that I think that we can develop in having spiritual conversation, and it's this. Listening to understand, to find agreement. Listening to understand and finding agreement. I had a former uh, mentor for several years named Jim Harrington, and he used to say the word discussion is very similar to the word percussion, <laughs> like playing the drums. <laughs> and he jokingly said that we often find ourselves in percussions instead of discussions, and the difference between the two is just the aim of the listener. The difference between a discussion and a percussion is the aim of the listener. In a percussion, the aim is to win. <laughs> In a discussion, the aim is to understand. That's the difference, the aim of the listener. Now, I'm not suggesting this is easy. <laughs> not, not at all. Uh, it's actually quite difficult because if you're like me and you're in a disagreement with someone, uh, usually while they are speaking, um, I'm forming an argument so that I can percussion them <laughs> afterward. Once there's a pause in the conversation, I want to jump in and beat my drum. <laughs> but... When I'm walking in the spirit, when I'm in my right mind and, and God is leading me in the midst of a disagreement, my actual aim is to try to understand. And instead of forming answers and responses and percussions, I'm actually forming questions in my mind, wanting to know more, wanting to understand their different perspective. And it doesn't mean that I have to agree with them or ever will agree with them, but I want to understand what it is and that we disagree about and what their viewpoint is. Some of you are familiar with a pretty old book, but one of the bestsellers, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, uh, Stephen Covey, he names one of those seven habits of highly effective people are those that are able to, quote, seek to understand and then be understood. By all of his research, he found that these successful people have learned how to have civil conversations by being willing and making it their aim to understand the other person's viewpoint more than, or at least before, trying to be understood. This is difficult because I think one of the things that we've lost in our society in our day and age is to admit that there's nuance to conversations. It's like we can't admit that every issue, all these big issues that we disagree about are incredibly complex. They have, they're so complex. And instead we try to, we're kind of forced in our day and age, it feels like, at least I've felt this pressure this last year in particular, to pick a side on everything. Like every issue is painted to be like a binary issue. And I don't know about you, I think you probably agree with me that my personal viewpoints just can't be summed up in a tweet, a Facebook post, or the most well-written blog, uh, nor can yours, I would assume. 
these issues are incredibly complex. And I suggest that there's nuance. When we, when we get into talking about the nuances of the complex issues, those are the places where we can actually find agreement. I don't know about you, but I felt like over the last year, I've been presented with binary choices such as these. Do black lives matter or do blue lives matter? Is Fox News fake or is CNN fake news? Is it okay to see my parents for Christmas or am I a grandma killer? Is, is Antifa a criminal group or are the Proud Boys a criminal group? Should we extend the lockdowns or should we open up the city again? What's best for our country, socialism or capitalism? Should we support the Republican platform or the Democrat platform? On social media, should we believe in complete free speech or should we censor? What's most loving for our church to resume meeting in person or to continue to stay on Zoom? Now, I don't know about you, but the, to me, there is far more nuance in how you answer those questions than just aligning up with one side or the other. Yet we're presented constantly with binary choices. And I'm sure if we would actually listen to each other, even if someone is on a different side of one of those arguments, we would find the nuance that would allow us to come to a place of agreement. It's like we've forgotten that these issues are completely complex and so complex that there's nuance to these conversations. Another thing we've also forgotten is that not only are issues complex, people are completely complex. We've forgotten that most issues are completely complex, but we also forget that people are very complex. We forget that every person's opinions are formed not just by thought and reason, but they're formed by a myriad of, of life experiences, things that have shaped their viewpoints and how they see the world. And if we would actually listen to understand not just the argument, but listen to understand the person, then I think we'd be getting somewhere. In fact, I'd actually argue that it's more, more than listening to understand someone's argument. What's more important, the goal should be to listen to understand the other person. We should try to understand the person more than the other person's viewpoints. And if we did that, we'd be practicing what I call the second principle that we see in 1 Corinthians in chapter 8. The principle now, the first one was that agreement is more important than disagreement. The second is that love is more important than knowledge. In chapter 8, in the same book, when he's writing all about unity, Paul writes this. Now about food sacrifice to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. You see in a section, Paul's addressing one of the, another one of Chloe's. Remember Chloe wrote him this letter. He's addressing another one of, his, or of her concerns. And the question is about meat sacrifice to idols, which was one of the biggest controversies or biggest causes for division in the early church. And everyone had a different opinion on what they should do about it. It was large, it was largely, the difference was actually divided between where you were racially. Remember that I said a lot of our opinions are not formed by just thought and reason, but are formed by our backgrounds and our experiences. Well, that was the case here. Hebrew Christians were not accustomed to eating meat sacrificed to idols. And so with their Jewish tradition, it was not permitted, and so they never grew up that way. And even though Jesus declared that all food was clean, and Peter and Paul each believed that all food was clean, if, it was, if you could eat with thanksgiving, the Hebrew Christians may have believed it in their head, but it still felt wrong in their hearts, and so it violated their conscience. Then there was the Gentile Christians who were, were accustomed to eating meat sacrificed idols, so it didn't make any difference for them. They'd been doing it all their lives, so it seemed unnecessary and unnatural for them to, to not do it. So that's the context of the debate. Uh, based largely on where people came from and their experiences. And to this issue, Paul says that love 
is more important than knowledge. In a very memorable way, he actually says it. We all possess knowledge, meaning we all have an opinion about the matter. That's what he says at the start there. We all possess knowledge. He's saying, we know that you all have your different opinions on this issue. And it's not really even a flippant opinion. Like they have well thought out reasons for what they believed about what to do with meat sacrificed to idols. But then he goes on to say this, knowledge puffs up, love builds up. What a line. That's, that's one you should commit to memory. It's so simple. Knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Knowledge is good, but knowledge void of a relationship, void of love, just leads to pride. Love is more important. You see, relationships with people whom you disagree, your relationships with people with whom you disagree is far more important than having the right viewpoint on a manner. And then with a final blow, Paul says, the one who knows something does not know as he ought to know, but the one who loves knows. I love it because what he's saying, he's saying, in, in other words, you can hold the right position on a matter, but still be wrong and treat someone else poorly, which makes you more wrong, even though you were right in your argument. <laughs> so you can be right, but ultimately wrong because you've, you've been right on the position, but you're wrong in how you treated someone, which makes you actually more wrong than right. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. That's why love is more important than knowledge. And I know we've probably all experienced this in our relationships. Uh, if you have roommates, if you are married, uh, you have families, so we'll put up all in the same boat. We can all be right in an argument. I know I can do that with Brenda. I might be right in an argument that I'm having with her and have the right viewpoint or the right answer in what we're disagreeing on, but if I treat her poorly, I'm actually more wrong than I am right because I violated the thing that mattered most, and that was love. So how we treat one another is far more important than being right on the matter of differences. That's what Paul goes on to explain if you were to read the next three chapters in 1 Corinthians 8, 9, and 10. They're all about how to practice this. And I've jokingly called this uh, last year, or I guess now we're about 10 months, I've called uh, COVID our meat sacrifice to idols moment <laughs> for, for us as believers. Uh, COVID, I think more than anything else, has, uh, I've experienced in my lifetime has caused us to have to choose love or given us the opportunity, I should say, to choose love over personal position or convictions. We all experience the difficulty of navigating relationships with family and friends who have different convictions or thoughts on COVID, whether it's from a, the standpoint of the science or whether it's just whether they're cautious or less cautious, whatever it is, the spectrum people are, we've had to navigate in this year honoring one another and choosing to love one another and prioritizing love over knowledge. It's given us a real tangible way to practice uh, this principle. And I'd like to say as a side note, um, as a church, I feel like we've navigated that really well. With very few exceptions have I heard of, of our church being divided, but I've heard story after story of the way that we've loved each other and prioritized love over our different opinions all over the gamut when it comes to COVID. So I want to commend our church to that end. And real specifically, I've actually seen this on the elder board. Um, I hope that it would actually bring you peace uh, to know that there are a variety of different views on our elder board. And this year we've had many, many difficult conversations regarding like how do we lead and shepherd our church. And one of the things that we did at the end of the year, we just had a kind of a, one of our last, our last elder meeting of the year, we actually said, let's take a moment, just reflect on the year and give thanks. And, and one of the things that we gave thanks for was the way that the, the elder board loved each other and sought God, even when we had different opinions. And we could point back to ways that we had prioritized love over knowledge and we grew closer in our relationships with one another, even while we disagreed at times. I've seen this happen before my eyes, and I know that it's possible. I know it's possible to have civil discourse 
at least a greater connection because I've seen it this year and you and in our elder board. I'll mention my friend, uh, Jim Harrington, one of my mentors. Uh, he taught me when he was discipling, discipling me a psychological term. It's called differentiation of self. <laughs> and in his discipleship, he taught me with his words, but even more with his life, uh, how to differentiate myself. And here's what the psychological term means, if you see it there. It's from uh, uh, Dr. Murray Bowen. Differentiation is the capacity of a person to manage his or her emotions as well as thinking, their individuality as well as their connections to others. Differentiation has also been defined as a measure of one's emotional maturity. Increasing one's differentiation is thought to be a lifetime project. Yes, it's a lifetime project in which one grows in a capacity to better manage one's connection as well as independence from one's family of origin and other close relationships. Really, if you see there in that definition, differentiation is really the balancing of individualism and connectiveness. It's one's ability to be true to yourself and express your thoughts and your emotions while at the same time remaining connected with others, especially others that have different feelings or different thoughts, different viewpoints than you. It's especially hardest to do in your family of origin because it's very complex with the history that you have in your family. Now, in this theory, there's actually two types of uh, people that are not differentiated. There's what's called the, the bully and the chameleon. The bully is the person who expresses their individuality, but they're unable to do so in a way that actually keeps connection with people because they're a bully. <laughs> but then there's the chameleon. The chameleon's able to keep connection with people, but they only do so because they never talk about what they really believe or think. They're never using their individuality. And both people have not differentiated themselves. And I don't mean to go off on a psychological theory. I'm certainly not an, an expert. Um, but I do see in this theory, it comes really close to this idea that you see in 1 Corinthians 8, the idea of being able to be an individual. We all possess knowledge, having your viewpoint, yet stay connected and prioritizing love over your viewpoint. That's what Paul seems to say that he wanted them to do, that we can have our personal convictions and express them. But even as we express them, we can still remain connected to one another by prioritizing love. That is the great command, to love one another, which is why you can be really wrong, even though you're right. Now, this is, again, this is a book that was addressed to Christians. Paul's writing to the church. And while this is a command for Christians and the way we ought to treat one another, I really believe that this is a posture that we can have toward the rest of the world as well. For those outside of our faith, when we speak with them, I think that you see really similar language from both Peter and Paul and other writers in the, in the New Testament. When Peter uh, talks about how to speak with those outside the faith, he says this, always be prepared to give an answer for everyone who asks you for, to give the reason for the hope that you have in Christ. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience. You see, he knew that to have civil conversation, you have to do things with gentleness and respect and keeping your conscience clear. When Paul speaks about having civil discourse about our faith in the world, he says in Colossians 4, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salts so that you can know how to answer everyone. You see, Peter and Paul were calling for civil discourse uh, with the world. Even as we talk to our friends about our faith and we want our friends and family to follow Jesus with us, but that discourse has to be full of grace, considerate, respectful, sincere, with a clear conscience. When I think about uh, civil discourse, uh, I currently think about my friendship, uh, relationship with my good friend, John, John Roadhouse. Uh, I used to have a lawn business in my neighborhood. I think it was about six years ago where I met John as one of my clients. And right away from the very first conversation I had, John shared with me about his Buddhist faith 
and he asked me questions about my faith. And really from that point on, we've had an ever evolving about five or six year conversation going. And uh, what's unique about this relationship is in many ways, John and I are, could not be more different. Uh, John is in his seventies. Um, I'm in my forties. <laughs> John was studying to go into Christian ministry in his twenties when he instead went down the Buddhist path. And I have, uh, been in my ministry, uh, Christian ministry, since I was in my 20s. Uh, John is a long, has a very, very long and rich history of social and political activism, uh, whereas I tend to try to avoid politics uh, if I can. And probably our biggest difference is that John is an incredible reader. <laughs> he can read an entire book faster than I can read a chapter, I promise. <laughs> and whereas for him, it's a joy. For me, it's just pure discipline. But over the last five years, John and I have had hundreds, literally hundreds of civil conversations about our differences of opinion in a whole myriad of issues. We've read books together, we've exchanged emails, we've read blogs, we've read articles, but we didn't just debate ideas. Along the way, we actually got to know each other. And I was able to learn much about John's personal history with the church, the good and the bad experiences, and much about his whole life and the experience that shaped what he believes on many different things. And as we've gotten to know each other and become better friends, we found many areas in our worldviews where we actually agree. And we found areas where we, where we disagree, but we're able to express our individuality, yet still remain connected to one another as friends. In fact, one of the, one of the emails that we, last, that we last exchanged regarding a certain issue, uh, the, what came out of it, the point that we actually agreed upon in this, this particular issue, was that if we had friendships like ours, if there were more friendships like ours in the world, the, the world would be a much better place that friendship changes everything. Now I want you to let your imagination run a little bit with me. Imagine if you were able to have civil discourse with your family in a way where you, able to, where you were able to listen and find agreement, in a way where you were able to prioritize love over knowledge. Imagine if you were to have civil discourse in a way that created greater understanding and intimacy instead of division and discord. Wouldn't your family be in a better place? Let's think about it for us as a church. Imagine if we as a church grew in our capacity to have civil discourse with one another in a way where we were able to listen and find agreement, in a way where we could prioritize love over our different viewpoints. Imagine if we were able to have this kind of discourse that created more understanding and intimacy with one another so the church could be, our church could be a beautiful example of unity amidst diversity that would shine as a light in our city. And imagine if we could help our broken world learn to have civil discourse again? Wouldn't our world be a better place? Well, my hope for us in 2021 is that we could grow in our capacity to have these kind of conversations, that we can bring healing and friendships to our world. And I know that it's not easy. <laughs> I know that it's not easy. In fact, one of the commands I really love in scripture in, in Romans 12, Paul, Paul says, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. <laughs> and so there is, and as far as it depends on you, it, it, there are people in our lives that we can't have these conversations with if they're unwilling. Yet, as far as it depends on us, let's do these things. Let's try to find agreement. Let's listen to understand. Let's prioritize love over knowledge. And if we can do our part, maybe things can change. I readily acknowledge that it's hard work, and I'm also very aware that we all come from different families of origin. And because of that, uh, civil conversations may be more or less easy for some of us. But my hope in 2021 is that those of us who are more adept at having these conversations uh, would lead the way for our church in having them. And those who are less adept in doing so 
would be eager to grow and to courageously jump into conversations like this. I think if we do this uh, well, by remembering that agreement is more important than a disagreements and love is more important than knowledge, I'm sure that we'll see personal transformation and community transformation in 2021. So my challenge for you is this. This morning, uh, two things. One, if someone has come to mind while I've been speaking or this morning, I would challenge you to have a conversation with them. Trust that the Spirit has put that person uh, on your mind and on your heart and aim to do these things and practice with someone this week. Secondly, if you feel like you're just not adept or able to do that, uh, I would ask that you'd reach out to like one of our staff or our elders, our women's leadership team, so that we can have a conversation and help you think through how to better have a conversation like that so that we can bring this change, much needed change, to our world. This is part of growing up in Christ. This is part of spiritual maturity. So lest you think it's unimportant or not a part of actually following Jesus or being a disciple, let me take you to one last passage in 1 Corinthians. It's when Paul's still making the first argument in chapters 1 through 4, but in chapter 3, he says this. Brothers and sisters, I could not yet address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly, mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you are not yet ready. Indeed, you're still not ready. You're still worldly, for since there's jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? When one says, I follow Paul, and the other, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? See, Paul's clearly saying here that tribalism and quarreling stunt our spiritual growth. He said, I couldn't address you as those who live by the Spirit. I had to give you milk, milk like infants, not solid food, because you weren't ready. And what was it that stunted their growth? It was the fact that they had jealousy and quarreling among them. So long as there's quarreling and tri uh, tribalism, we can't mature as followers of Christ. Or, or to put it a different way, a sign of spiritual maturity is a growing capacity to have these civil conversations. This is part of growing as a disciple. If we want uh, to grow in our faith and learn to walk in the Spirit, we need to develop this skill. If we want to grow our church and be filled with the Spirit as a church, we need to develop this skill. It's part of our discipleship. It's part of growing and spiritual maturity, and my hope is that in 2021, this would be what Christ would do to mature us uh, in this year. Let me close this in prayer, and then we'll take communion together. God, it is our hope that we would grow in our ability to have civil conversations, and the kind that actually produce more intimacy and deeper relationships with our friends, our family, and the world. Give us a grace to grow this year. Uh, protect us from the enemy's favorite tactic of division and disorder. Help us find agreement and prioritize love. Uh, we need your grace and power to do this. Uh, we submit ourselves to you and ask that you would have your way with us. And if anyone has come to mind today, give us courage to initiate a conversation and prepare their hearts for that conversation. We ask that we could grow in our ability to have these conversations this year. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We hope this ministry has blessed you. If you would like to support this ministry, you can donate at midtownaustin.org.